Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 102 on Honduras. The capital of Honduras, or Honduras, is Tegucigalpa, and the name means depths and was given to Honduras by Christopher Columbus because of the depth that the Honduran Bay exhibited when he first sailed to it. So the depths refers to the area near Honduras, and it has bared that name ever since. In 1502 under Columbus, and that was actually in Honduras, and the Luvia de Peces, in English, rain of fish, also known as Aquacero de Pescado, or the downpour of fish, is a phenomenon that has been occurring yearly for more than a century in Yoro, Honduras, in which fish are said to fall from the sky, and it occurs up to four times in a year. This happens because water spouts and water cyclones are pretty common in this region of the world, and sometimes they scoop up fish or bring them into the kind of water precipitation system. And in this case, they actually get rained onto a city. And, like, these fish will be live and still moving. People go out in the streets to catch them. It's crazy. And despite all Latin American countries being Christian majorities, the only Protestant majority one is Honduras, which also has the most Protestants in all of Latin America. And with that, that gets us to the beginning, where I don't want to dilly-dolly anymore, and I just want to get right on into this thing. So, my name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History. And this is Honduras. Thank y'all for being here. Let's do this thing. The first humans in Honduras, as in much of the America, are believed to have arrived during the prehistoric period between 14,000 and 10,000 BCE. These early human populations were likely migratory groups that crossed into the Americas from Asia using the Bering Strait. And this was probably when the last ice age occurred, when sea levels were lower and this strait between the Americas and Asia in Bering land was able to be used. And around 1000 BC, the city of Copan was established as a major Mayan city that great leaders called home. The most major people groups were the Lenca, Misquito, and Garafuna. Today, the Lenca are one of the largest people groups in Honduras, and they focus heavily on the value of land, and they see it as sacred, and they really honor the ancestral land that they live on. The Mosquito have a language that has survived even to this day, despite having to compete with Spanish and English influences. And the Garifuna are an Afro-Indigenous group that migrated here from St. Vincent, the island in the Caribbean. And they have maintained long-standing African and Caribbean culture in Honduras. Uwa Zaklejun Uba'a Kawilil ruled from 695 to 738, and he saw the peak of the empire in this region. And that was the last major recording of history we seem to have that can be confirmed up until the arrival of the Europeans, which happens in 1502 when Columbus lands here. And the main reason they came was because of the presence of gold, silver, and other metals that were discovered here. And very quickly, the Spanish cultivated them. And the plentiful resources here prompted the Spanish to make the capital of Central America in Honduras, and this was a town called Gracias. And in 1537, a native leader named Lempira led an uprising against Spanish presence and the Spanish using native people as slaves. His resistance motivated others and led to many uprisings happening throughout the country. This resistance almost pushed the Spanish out. However, the Spanish manipulated Lempira into attending a quote-unquote peace meeting that was actually a ploy to murder him. Once he died, the steam behind the movement faltered and Spanish control was tightly reestablished. In the 1540s, African slaves were beginning to be brought into the land because a mining crisis 
caused an economic issue to rise up in the nation and a need for cheap labor increased. So people decided to enslave people from Africa and bring them over. And after this, the rest of the century was dedicated to create a more stable government system, revive the mining industry, and establish tighter Spanish control. The 1600s saw a lot of piracy in the coastal region and clashes with the British privateers who wanted to slow Spanish trade. The mining activities, while valuable in terms of wealth generation, resulted in severe exploitation of indigenous labor and led to the decline of indigenous populations nationwide. The forced labor, as well as the diseases brought by Europeans, caused insane amounts of devastation to the indigenous communities. In the late 1600s, the Spanish authorities established more permanent settlements and strengthened their control over the region by putting into law a lot of their government procedures. In the 1700s, the economy of Honduras remained centered around mining activities, especially around silver and gold. The Spanish continued to exploit the use of indigenous and African slaves, and as the century progressed, the output of precious metals from the mines did begin to decline. The mines had been overexploited, and this, coupled with a decline in ore quality, contributed to a slowdown in economic growth across Honduras. This century also saw a lot of natural disasters, such as earthquakes and hurricanes, which crushed many cities in the nation and killed thousands. And in 1763, the Treaty of Paris established British control over Belize, which brought more British influence into the area and led to a competition for naval supremacy and trade to occur between the British and the Spanish. There were occasionally British raids on Honduran land, but the Spanish commonly repelled them and never let Honduras fall into British hands. And it would be by the end of this century that gold was used up by the Spaniards, and then all focus would be put into silver, and that would also be used up very quickly. The early 1800s kicked off with a bang when Napoleon Bonaparte defeated the Spanish king, overthrew the royalty, and disbanded the Holy Roman Empire. He placed a relative of his on the Spanish throne. This completely weakened the empire and led to a growth in national pride in the new world. A desire to be independent from Spain was taught to the Central American nations by Mexico, who was the leader of independent desires. Independence was declared by Honduras, as well as most other Central American nations, on September 15, 1821. The Mexican Federation grew to engulf all of Central America because all these individual countries chose to join with Mexico and stand up against European influence because they felt Mexico was the best leader. But with this federation, there was a lot of instability and different vies for peace, and some wanted war, and some just wanted to run it completely differently than each other. So this led to a civil war breaking out within Honduras specifically because there was so much clash over the involvement that the country should have in the federation. And this was when Francisco Morazan actually popped up. So he was very influential during the civil war because he led his side to victory at the Battle of La Trinidad. Following this, he became the governor of Honduras, and it would be during the Civil War that the Mexican Federation falls apart, and not long after, the Central American Republic is joined with Morazan as not only the leader of Honduras, but eventually becomes the leader of the Central American Republic in general. Um, but that didn't stop clashes from occurring between Morazan and the conservatives within Honduras, and it led to a huge amount of disagreements. So in 1838, Honduras actually pulled out of the Central American Republic. January 1st of 1841 saw Francisco Ferreira become the first constitutional president when he united his power with the pro-church politicians of Honduras. Marco Aurelio Soto became president in 1871, and he represented a shift towards more liberal policies once again. He advocated for the use of the new telegraph system, and he funded railroads, as well as expanding the education system to become very vast and include most people within it. 
1880, he moved the capital of the country to its current one, Tegucigalpa. And then we see in the late 1800s the establishment of the New York and Honduras Rosario Mining Company. This was established in an attempt to revive the mining industry that was dead but still had a lot of potential. After its establishment, the company was able to get pretty much unrestricted access to the mines across Honduras. At the same time as this was the rise of the United Fruit Company, which became prominent in 1890. Under the leadership of Samuel Zemuri, bananas became the most prominent and profitable export across all of Honduras. They became so important that sometimes when domestic conflicts would break out, the United States, which was involved in the creation of the United Fruit Company, would intervene in these conflicts in order to preserve the protection of the banana industry. And this would be why the term Banana Republic was actually coined to describe Honduras. The Liberal Party of Honduras, founded in 1891, has produced about half the presidents for the country since its creation. And that was at the same time as the National Party of Honduras, which was created to combat the Liberal Party of Honduras, and has focused on deals that are conducted through a Christian lens, and they are seen as the more conservative of the two parties. Tiburcio Calayas Andino was elected in 1932, and he remained as president for 17 years, making him the longest-serving political figure in Honduran history. During his presidency, he outlawed the Communist Party of Honduras, amended the constitution to allow his own re-election, heavily suppressed the press, and he consolidated his power over the nation. This rule lasted until 1949, and by this point, Honduras was the poorest country in Central America because of the fact that the Hondurans failed to cultivate coffee as well as the other ones when the coffee boom happened, banana prices were falling, and a very weak military meant that they couldn't negotiate in diplomacy nearby. This culminated in the general strike of 1954 when 50,000 Hondurans protested against the United Fruit Company for its very exploitive labor laws, unfair wages, and abuses of power. These protests heavily succeeded and led to many reforms that lasted throughout much of the century. And it would be in 1956 that a coup occurred led by the military against the president in power, and this would begin a long era of military influence. The military was also heavily involved in the writing of the 1957 constitution that followed the coup, and this constitution changed many things in Honduras, but most importantly, it made it so that the leader of the military and the highest ranking person across the military would be the general, as opposed to it formerly being the president, which is what we use in the United States, where the highest ranking member of the military is the president who acts as the commander in chief when he needs to. And that gets repealed in Honduras because they were using a similar system as a lot of the Western world was. But they decide that it wasn't working for them, so they go on to do this instead. And it's definitely been a shaky one for them, but it's been an interesting choice. And then in 1963, we see the military actually get involved once again when they stage another coup that stopped the transition of power from happening. And this was done by the Air Force leader, Oswaldo Lopez Avellano. Arellano actually suspended any elections for two years and then ended up running himself as president in the election that happened, and he actually wins to become president. And this is when we see a very famous thing in Honduran history, which was the Soccer War of 1969. This occurred after hundreds of thousands of Salvadorians illegally immigrated into Honduras in search of work throughout the 60s. It just so happened that at this time, the economy of Honduras began to collapse, and many people blamed the Salvadorans for this. So in June of 1969, thousands of Salvadorans would be deported out of the nation, and fate would have it that at the same time, Honduras and El Salvador would be playing in a qualifier match for the Mexico World Cup in soccer. At this game in San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador, Salvadoran fans would attack Honduran fans and beat them mercilessly. 
In reaction to this, Hondurans would actually assault Salvadorans in Honduras, leading to many deaths and, and thousands of injuries. Following this, Salvadoran troops would cross the Honduran border and begin a small invasion. Honduras reacted by launching missile strikes on El Salvador and the troops within the Honduran borders. This conflict lasted only four days and ended with a shaky treaty that would be a that wouldn't be officially ratified until over a decade later. So, for a long time there, things were really tense between Honduras and El Salvador. I could say now that by 2023, things are mostly good. Occasionally, a border issue pops up, and whenever one of the two nations gets into some hot water, because of the north-south border they have, people get very antsy about it spilling over because immigration has been such a big part of their history. So the next time you hear about a big news event happening in El Salvador or Honduras, keep your eyes on what the other one does in the case because there tends to be a equal reaction because they definitely feel that their histories collide quite a bit. And that brings us to 1972 when another military coup occurred to place the president in power and this started an era of extremely corrupt presidents where any that ruled from this time until 1981 were very corrupt and were definitely just military puppets as military rule ended with the elections of 1981. And throughout the 80s, the U.S. gave loads of financial aid and military aid to Honduras to secure their interest in the region, which was to prevent communism from spreading in the Americas. So this democratic nation that was doing pretty well for itself after some shaky elections, the U.S., wanted to do all they could to back it. But there would be some very troubling things that happened next concerning the U.S. So the U.S. opposed the Sandinistas that had taken power in Nicaragua because they saw them as socialists and communists. The U.S. used refugee outposts in Honduras as covert headquarters for their mission against the Sandinistas. The conflict between the U.S. and the Sandinistas became known as the Contra War because the U.S. would help fund and train the Contras who were the opposition to the Sandinistas, despite them being pretty bad themselves. If you want to learn more about that, check out my El Salvador episode, because this war is, of course, happening in El Salvador. But in Honduras, the United States would use these Honduran camps to train Salvadorans to battle against the Sandinistas. And this led to many student protests against U.S. involvement in Honduras. One of the common phrases that became famous was Yankee Go Home, which gets thrown around a lot in pop culture. And this was done to raise awareness about the military commanders within Honduras that were taking a lot of power. And in reaction to this, some of these military commanders actually ordered the kidnapping and killing of many student protest leaders. And that's a thing that isn't covered very well, because, of course, why would Americans want to cover that? Not like they're trying to hide anything. But, you know, it's something we do need to acknowledge because it's terrible, especially considering these weren't even the people involved in the war. They just didn't like the fact that you, America, was sticking your nose in it. So it's definitely a shaky one and one that the U.S. has covered pretty well because it's something you have to dig for. But definitely very shady what happens in Honduras and definitely a blight on the American involvement here. And after some of the pro-American generals fell out of power... General Walter Lopez Reyes became the successor to them because he was one of the leaders behind ousting the president before him. And over the next years, Honduras would initiate policies that limited or banned the training of Salvadoran refugees in Honduras. And within a few years, Honduras would stabilize and any U.S. intervention would be blocked by the Honduran government. Then, Rafael Leonardo Carejas won the 1989 election, which was the first time in 50 years that an opposition party had peacefully taken power in Honduras. His presidency, though, did not go very well, 
as his policies led to some instability and general distaste for his leadership because of this mismanaging of the economy. And then Carlos Roberto Reina was a liberal politician that was elected in 1994 to succeed Rafael Leonardo. And during his presidency would be the hurricane of 1998 called Hurricane Mitch. It was literally one of the worst hurricanes to hit the Western Hemisphere in many centuries. It displaced over 1 million Hondurans and caused the economy to completely crash. Despite this, political stability was maintained through two election cycles, even though the economy was starting to tank. And then comes one of the most important figures in recent political history for the country, and that is Manuel Zelaya. He was a much more enigmatic figure than the nation had seen in a few decades. He was always seen wearing a white cowboy hat, and he brandished a thick mustache to make his look very signature and so that he would stand out among anyone else. He was able to win an election in 2006, which made him the president. And his policies were at first successful as he ended a lot of widespread poverty. Then he expanded free education to all children, but it was when he tried to call for a referendum to allow for his own re-election that things started to go south. Because when this happened, it reminded the military and the people of the old politicians that wanted to hold all the power by continuously re-electing themselves and being corrupt, that it just hit the wrong nerve for them, triggered the PSD, and it actually led to Zelaya being removed from power. And this occurred in the summer of 2009, which resulted in Zelaya being exiled to Costa Rica. And this was not seen happily by most of the international community, especially the United States, because it felt like they had actually gotten a pretty democratic leader in at least from the outside view, and seeing him get overthrown really pissed everyone else off because it just seemed like it was unreasonable. And the successor to him was Robert Micheletti, who faced heavy ridicule from the U.S. for the coup that removed Zelaya. But after some time, relations were healed. But it would be during his rule that violent crime became extremely common, making Honduras a world leader in homicide rates. But things started to shift when, in 2013, Juan Orlando Hernandez was elected, his presidency oversaw a lot of controversy because he faced accusations over his campaign embezzling money from the government, and he also had to deal with the fact that one of his cabinet members was arrested for drug trafficking. And also during his rule was some more trouble because Berta Caceres was a prominent environmental activist that was assassinated by a hired killer. Later on, this killer was eventually connected to one of the giant corporations that Berta opposed. And then rumor has it that the Honduran government also supported her assassination because the things she was standing up for would have made things very hard for the government. And this led to protests taking the country by storm, and accusations of corruption were laid at the government's feet over and over, with the main target of these protests being Juan Orlando Hernandez. But despite all these protests, he was not removed from power, and he actually benefited from the actions taken earlier by Zelaya, who made it a huge step when he had the Supreme Court and he actually benefited heavily from something Zelaya did because Zelaya made a really big step when he had the Supreme Court review the rule that opposed re-election. And this was actually overturned because the constitutional decree from the Supreme Court decided that it was unconstitutional to deny a chance for re-election. So this actually allowed Juan Orlando Hernandez to run on his own re-election in 2017. And this election was seen as extremely corrupt as the opposition to Hernandez was winning in the polls and in the vote count up until the very end when the government actually prevented the counting of votes. And right after this decree happened, Hernandez was announced as the winner of the election. Not shady at all. 
Because of this, of course, nationwide protests broke out to oppose the election that was very clearly fraudulent. And these protests actually saw 700 citizens die because of trampling and also heavy aggressiveness from the police and military that were involved in suppressing the protest. But despite all this, not a thing happened to Hernandez. And that leads us to our next leader, who is Xiomara Castro. She became the first female president of Honduras in January of 2022. Her presidency has been focused on trying to end corruption and the heavy amounts of violent crime in the nation. And there have been reforms enacted for this, but Honduras's issues are very, very large ones to face. So good luck to Xiomara, because it would be very great if she was able to do anything, but it's going to be hard. And that gets us to the present, where the country is still heavily gripped by corruption and is widely seen as one of the most crime-ridden nations on earth. Specifically, there is a lot of homicide and femicide in the nation, because sadly, Honduras is not only a leader in homicide globally, but it is a leader in femicide, which is the intentional murder of women. They're a leader across Latin America, across all the islands, across all Central and Southern America. It's very, very sad, but this has become a huge issue, kind of like we talked about last time with Tajikistan, where it isn't going very well, to be honest. There's just huge amounts of women's abuse because nobody's really standing up for it, or these people, and even if there are protests, they kind of just get brushed away. Similar things happening in Honduras, and even though steps are being made, it's still is horrible issue here. And that does correlate heavily with the presence of the MS-13 gang being here, which are extremely huge in El Salvador, but them clashing with other gangs, gang initiations, and things of that sort have led to not only many young men being turned into criminals, but also many people in general being caught up in the homicides these gangs commit. And on the Freedom House scale, this country is seen as partly free because it is struggling very heavily. There are political rights and things are guaranteed by the Constitution, but the actual cleanness of elections being consistent has been a big trouble for this country. And it's it's tough. It's very, very tough for Honduras, but with someone like Xiomara Castro in power, the hope is things will change, but she'll definitely have to set a domino effect going forward because Honduras does not have the stability to guarantee that one good president can shift things. And that gets us to the end where I always like to leave it with a takeaway or a mindset. And with Honduras, that's going to be bring the right person into your life. I say that with this one because specifically they've finally been able to elect someone that people are behind, that being Xiomara Castro. Is she flawless? No. Is she the most 99% approved person ever? No. But she is trying, and her being elected democratically, her being the first woman president, all sorts of things like this are definitely pushing the direction of Honduras evolving and Honduras progressing. So they have chosen the right person to help with their big issue slash achieve their goals. I say that with you because think about the things you're struggling with. Okay, and then think about the things you want from life, either today, tomorrow, or 10 years from now. How much do you think having the right partner or person in general be by your side help you? How much do you think it'll help? Imagine if your biggest issue right now is a major feeling of loneliness, you feel like you aren't physically or sexually satisfied or not frustrated. Think about how you feel a lack of physical affection in your life. If you had these issues, what would help solve that? A great partner. That person would help solve it, and you have to get that right person, bring the right person in. Let's say it's something else. Let's say it's not something that's relationship-specific. Let's say you can't figure out how to do your taxes right, can't figure out how to do the taxes for your business. Too much money is going in, too much money is going out. You have to bring someone in for that. That will probably be a professional thing. You hire someone to help you, an accountant or a tax attorney, something like that. And that can be applied to so many areas. If you're just lacking enough on your physical health, 
bring in a trainer. And if it's something you can't do, bring in your friend that is very fit and is ready to help you. We're all just one person or one or two people away in different areas from getting a lot of the things that we need. And of course, the jury is still out on Honduras if Ziomara is like a one-off, if she's going to end up having a great presidency by the end, or if what she does is going to go well at all. But on your side of things, think about how much the right one person could do. If that's the one for you, aka relationship-wise, but what if we're talking business-wise? What if we're talking trainer-wise? What if we're talking friend-wise? Someone that just is the just enough to bring you in the right direction or the influence they have on your life is right there. So I say to you, not only bring the person in if you already have them in your life, but if you are looking for a person and looking for other connections in life, reach out. Reach out far. Try and make it happen because the more you look, the more you search, the more you will put out the energy of looking for the right thing and you'll draw something in. You'll find someone that can help you with this business or someone in the right space. Put yourself in the right places, the right spaces, the right environment to get what you want slash to solve the problems you have. And the odds are someone's going to come in that will help you in some way. Even if it's not directly helping, it can still be help. So I say kind of do what Honduras has done. Reach out to the right person. Bring the right person into power, aka into influencing your life. And things might change really great for you because they definitely have for me in certain areas. And that is that for me, guys. Honduras, so fun. Like I said, I literally love being able to do Central American, South American, North American, just new world countries after so much time spent in Central Europe, throughout the Caucasus and all that. Because even though those are incredible histories, they are extremely far back and they're condensed and all that. This is a very fun one to do. So I'm very glad you guys are here and I'm very glad I did this one. So all I'm going to say is thank you so much for being here. My name is Rhys Garlinski. This is Young History, and that was Honduras. You guys have a good one.